You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Pray with me. Almighty God, you alone are high and lifted up. You inhabit eternity, and your name is holy. We pray that you reveal your glory to us through the preaching of your word so that we may bow our knees and confess with our hearts that you are Lord. And I pray, O God, that you uphold me in my weakness by your omnipotent right hand, and I pray that you use me for your glory as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, and happy new year. It's good to see you all this morning. Glad we can worship together. This morning we will be in Isaiah chapter 57. So you can take your copy of God's Word and turn there with me, Isaiah 57, verse 15. If you do not have a Bible, um, our strike team will come down. You can raise your hand and they'll hand out a Bible to you. Um, And we are on page 399 of the Bibles that are being handed out. Now for the next three weeks, we will be doing a little vision casting for some things that are going on here at River City. This week, um, I'd like to do some vision casting for the next River City Equip class, which will begin in February. Next week, Lord willing, Marty's going to come up here and do some vision casting for an all, a church-wide scripture memorization plan. And then, Lord willing, uh, Pastor Jake will come two weeks from now and do some vision casting for church planting. So as I said, today I'd like to do some vision casting for the next River City Equip class, which is going to be called No God Besides Thee. And it will focus on who God is. And to cast vision for this class, I'd like to look at Isaiah 57:15 because it gives us a beautiful little glimpse of the glory of God. So as we look at this passage, keep in mind what it says about God. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. A.W. Tozer once said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
Now, if this is true, and I believe that it is, then it is absolutely vital that we have the right view of who God is. Because what you believe about God impacts every aspect of your life. For example, if you believe that God is a happy grandfather-type figure whose goal is to give you whatever you want whenever you want it, then you're going to live a very self-centered life that will look kind of like a spoiled toddler. Or, if you believe that God is a temperamental evil dictator, then you're probably going to live in a constant state of fear doing whatever it takes to try to please him. Or, if you don't believe in God at all, then ultimately your life has no meaning or purpose. What you believe about God impacts everything about you. It impacts who you believe you are. It impacts how you interact with others. It impacts how you believe you should live. It impacts everything. And therefore, it is vital that we have the right view of God. And so my goal this morning is to give you a little glimpse of who God is with the short amount of time that we have. I just want to give you a little glimpse of who God is. And I like to think of it like some of the sunsets that we had this late fall. I don't know if you saw any of the sunsets that we had where the sun is reflecting off the clouds in just a brilliant array of orange and purple and blue And sometimes it lasts 30 seconds, sometimes it lasts 30 minutes. But for that moment, God is showing off a glimpse of his glory. And when I look at that, there's nothing else that I can do but stand in awe of who he is. And so that's my goal this morning, is to give you a little glimpse of God's glory from his word so that we can stand in awe of who he is. Now this verse in Isaiah gives us a glimpse of God's glory in two ways. In other words, this verse tells us at least two things about God, and these are my two points. First, God is transcendent, and second, God is imminent. Now, don't worry, we're going to describe what those words mean. And to help us, um, I borrowed some posters from the nursery. So God is transcendent. God is big. Now, this doesn't fully describe what it means for God to be transcendent, but it was the closest poster that I could find in the nursery. So God is big. He is transcendent. And God is imminent. God is with us. Now, again, this doesn't fully describe what it means for God to be imminent, but this is the heart of it, I believe. So God is transcendent, and God is imminent. First, God is transcendent. Our verse begins... For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. God is the one who is high and lifted up. Now what does that mean? I believe a verse in the Psalms can help us out here. Psalm 97 verse 9 says, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. For God to be high and lifted up means at least two things. It means that God is most high over all the earth, and it means that God is exalted far above all gods. So we're going to look at both of those in turn real briefly here. God is most high over all the earth. 
God is transcendent, meaning that he is entirely above and outside his creation. And so saying that God is big doesn't fully describe it, but I think it's helpful. But God is above and outside of his creation. And not only that, he is the creator of all things. By the word of his power, all things were spoken into existence. Every galaxy, every star, every planet, including every detail about earth. And our minds can't even begin to understand the expanse of outer space. God created every drop of water in the oceans. He told the ocean where its boundary should be. And what's amazing to me about the ocean is, according to National Geographic, in the history of mankind, we haven't even explored 20% of it. It's huge, the ocean, and God created every detail of it. On top of that, God created every tree, every blade of grass, every cell in our body. There are minute details about God's creation that we will never even know about in this life. God is the almighty creator of all things. But he's not only the creator of all things, he is the sustainer and ruler over all things. He is the one that by his sovereign power, the planets, he keeps the planets in our solar system revolving around the sun. He is the one who keeps the earth so that we have the exact right amount of gravity and oxygen that we need to live. Again, according to National Geographic, our earth is rotating on its axis at about a thousand miles an hour. And we don't even feel it, but we need that to survive. And God is keeping all of it in his hand. God is the one who sovereignly orchestrates every single snowflake to land right where he ordains it. And we can't even understand how many snowflakes it takes to fill the Fargo-Moorhead area with over an in- a foot, not an inch, a foot of snow. And God's sustaining all of it. He's the one who knows how many hairs we have on our head. It is by his sovereign will that our hearts are beating, that our lungs are breathing, and that the cells in our body are doing what they need to. He knows the number of our days, and he even has power over death. He can bring the dead to life. God is the majestic, sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. He is transcendent. My friends, what we believe about God does not change who he is. What we feel about God does not change who he is. And one of the points in the context of Isaiah 57 and from Psalm 97 that we looked at is that he is the only majestic, sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. He alone is God, and there is no God besides him. He alone is most high over all the earth. He alone is exalted far above all gods. Now in the Old Testament, the other gods would refer to gods made with hand by wood or or stone or something like that. And the Bible refers to these gods as idols, 
And the people would literally worship them. They would sacrifice things to these idols, sometimes even sacrificing their children. They would pray to these idols, and they would trust that these idols would deliver them or protect them or heal them. Now, this may seem strange to us because we are so far removed from that cultural context, but we still worship idols today. It just looks way different. We worship things like money or self or sex or careers or you name it. There are a few questions you can ask to see if you are worshiping idols. What do you sacrifice for? For example, do you sacrifice time with God in order to watch TV? What do you pray for? Example here, how much time do you spend praying for earthly things versus kingdom things? What do you trust in? An example here would be, do you trust in your health or do you trust in God's sovereign strength to sustain you? Beloved, God alone is God and he alone is exalted far above all gods. There is no God beside him and he alone is worthy of worship. And the thought of worshiping idols is foolishness. The Old Testament, and specifically the book of Isaiah, describes idols as those who are dumb and blind and deaf. They're literally just a thing made out of wood. An idol can't see anything, but God sees everything. Money doesn't know anything about you, but God knows everything. Your TV can't hear your prayers or deliver you from sin. Only God can hear your prayers. Only God can deliver you. There's no God beside him. He alone is exalted far above all gods. He is the one who is high and lifted up. Now, Isaiah 57 says that he is the one who is high and lifted up, but it also says that he is the one who inhabits eternity. Now, what does that mean? Again, I believe a verse from a psalm can help us. Psalm 90, verse 2, says, <clears throat> Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before there was anything, there was God. In the beginning, God. He was not only there in the beginning, he will also be there forever. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He is outside of time. In fact, he created time. He changes things in time, but he is not affected by time. He's not limited by time like we are and like I am in the sermon. This is hard to fully comprehend, but we have to wait for things to happen. Like, for example, if we have to wait for the sun to go down today, we have to wait for that. 
But God doesn't have to wait because he is outside of time. As Tozer says, for him, everything that will happen has already happened. Second Peter 3, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. This is why God is described as the one who was and is and is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is eternally the same, and He is eternally seated on His throne as the ruler of all things forever and ever. God is transcendent over time. He is most high over all of His creation including time. From everlasting to everlasting, He is God. And our verse continues. His name is holy. Now a name, um, especially in the Old Testament, but even throughout Scripture, a name is a very important thing. A name reflects the character of the thing named. And my favorite example of this is from Exodus 33 and 34, where Moses goes to God and he says, God, please show me your glory. And God responds like this, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. In other words, Moses says, God, show me your glory, which is a very bold ask, by the way. Show me your glory. And God says, I will tell you my name. God's name reflects his character. And I just love what happens next. So the Lord came down to Moses and proclaimed his name to him. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And when Moses heard the name of the Lord, at once he bowed his face to the ground and he worshipped. Now all of that to say, a name is an important thing. A name reflects the character of the thing named. And in our case, in Isaiah 57, we see that God's name is holy. God is holy. To be holy is to be set apart from all sin, all unrighteousness, and all evil, and to be set apart to God. In other words, God is the end goal of holiness. He is holy in his being and in his doing. He is completely and fully set apart from all unrighteousness, all sin, all evil in the world. <clears throat> Gold is one of the most precious and valuable resources on earth. And gold is refined by fire. And what happens is they put the gold in the fire and when it melts down, all the impurities in the gold rise to the surface and then they can skim off those impurities and the gold becomes purer and purer. Beloved, God is purer than gold that has been refined by fire 77 times. In fact, God's holiness is the fire that refines. 
and it burns brighter and purer than the sun. This is why the scriptures describe God as majestic in holiness. And even sinless creatures bow down to worship God's holiness, and they proclaim without ceasing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. My favorite episode of seeing God's holiness is in Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah 6, sinless creatures, sinless creatures can't even look at God's holiness. They have to cover their face. They have to cover their feet while they continually cry out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in Isaiah 6, when the prophet Isaiah saw this glimpse of the holiness of God, he immediately declared, woe is me, for I am ruined. Now, we don't normally talk this way, but Isaiah is saying something like, God, don't shoot. I know I deserve to be struck dead right now because of my sin, but God, please don't kill me. Woe is me. I confess my sin to you. I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, what happened there is Isaiah saw God for who he truly was. And then he saw himself for who he truly was, a sinner. The knowledge of the Holy One brought Isaiah to the reality of his condition. In other words, we cannot understand ourselves unless we know who God is. Because what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And what we've seen so far is that God is the one who is high and lifted up. He is most high over all of his creation. He is is exalted far above all gods. He inhabits eternity, and his name is holy. He is the majestic, thrice holy Lord of hosts. God is transcendent, he is big. But God is not just transcendent. He is imminent. He is with us. By the way, congrats. So far, um, we've made it through one-third of a verse. So we're making good progress. And we like haven't even scratched the surface of what we could talk about. <clears throat> but our verse continues with God saying that he dwells in the high and holy place. Now we've looked at this, so I'm not going to dive into it, but God is high and lifted up and his name is holy. Of course he lives in the high and holy place. There is no other place that can fit the majestic holiness of God. God is high and lifted up and he dwells in a high and holy place. And this is why what comes next blows me away. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. In other words, God says, my name is exalted above the heavens, so I live in the high and holy place and I live 
with the one who is lowly and contrite. How is that even possible? How can a God who is so high and lifted up dwell with the lowly? Now we know ultimately this is possible because of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Now Christmas was just last week, so this is probably fresh in our minds. That God became a man and he dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God and he himself is high and lifted up as the eternal God. He's the word that was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is God. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, as we read earlier in Philippians 2. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The one who is high and lifted up became lowly. The one who inhabits eternity entered into space and time. And Jesus Christ was given the name Emmanuel. Again, names mean something. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. Jesus Christ is God with us. He is our great high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And he has been made like us in every respect. He has even been tempted like us in every single way. Yet he never fell into sin. He lived a perfectly righteous life. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. The chosen one of God was chosen by God to die. He was born to save his people from their sins. He was born to die. But why? Because the wages of our sin is death. We each deserve the fullness of God's holy and eternal wrath for every single one of our sins. This is why God sent Jesus. So that all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior would be saved from the wrath of God that they deserve for their sins. Now, looking at most of you, I know that you know this and you believe this and praise God for that. But this is a re- I'm saying all this because this is a reason that we can bow down in humble adoration for God, even though some of us have maybe heard it. How many times have you heard this gospel, Gary? 10,000 times? And each time we can bow down in humble adoration that God gave himself in the person of Jesus Christ to suffer the death, punishment, and curse that we deserve for our sin. The chosen one of God was chosen by God to die for us. The one whose name is holy became our unholiness. He, was, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, became our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But praise God that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave conquering sin and death and Satan, and he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God. And God has highly exalted him and given him a new name. Again, names mean something, don't they? He's been given the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the King of glory did all of this so that God can be with the contrite and the lowly. Now I want us to note here that it doesn't say that God saves everyone or that God is with everyone. It says that God is with the contrite and lowly in spirit. So what does it mean to be contrite? What does it mean to be lowly in spirit? Let's look at those. To have a contrite spirit is to feel the fullness of the wrath of God that you deserve for your sin. It is to be crushed down by the weight of your rebellion and cry out to God in repentance. It is to see God for who He truly is and then to see yourself for who you truly are, a sinner whose only hope is the grace and mercy of God. To be contrite is to be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. When he sees the holiness of God, what does he do? He says, woe is me. And then he confesses his sin. I am a man of unclean lips because I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The transcendent God is with those who have a contrite and lowly spirit. To be contrite is to feel the weight of your sin and to cry out to God in repentance. And to be lowly in spirit is to be humble. To be humble is to be completely dependent on God. To be humble is to recognize that God is the only one who is high and lifted up. Which means that we must recognize that we are not high and lifted up. We are not God. We are not in control. And we cannot save ourselves. To be humble is to live and proclaim like the psalmist did in Psalm 73, where he says, I have nothing in heaven but you, O Lord. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you, O God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. To say that in other words, to be humble is to say, I have nothing without you, God. I am nothing without you, God. God, you are my everything. I am but dust. It is you who created me. It is you who sustains my life. You, O oh God, are enthroned eternally, and I am but a vapor in your hands. To be humble is to have faith in Christ. Faith is the most humble thing. And this is, the, this is why we are only saved by faith. Faith is humble because it says, I need to be saved. It says, 
I cannot save myself. And it says, God, I need you to save me. So faith is the most humble thing because it recognizes that we need help. And so putting contrite and lowly together is just another way of saying God is with those who repent and believe in Christ. My friends, does that describe you? Have you repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ? Do you have a contrite and lowly spirit? God is transcendent and he is imminent. The God who is high and lifted up and inhabits eternity and whose name is holy is the same God who is with the contrite and the lowly. And there are only two ways to respond to the magnificent glory of God. We either bow or we bow. What do I mean? What am I saying? We either bow the knee to King Jesus in worship, in adoration, and faith, or we bow the knee to King Jesus in condemnation. Because remember, Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. And one day, every knee will bow to him, and they will confess that he is Lord. Have you bowed your life and your heart to Christ? If not, I plead with you to do so now. Now for those who have bowed the knee to King Jesus in worship and adoration, we have reason to rejoice and praise God every single day simply because of who He is and because He is with us. God is with His people through Jesus Christ. And what this means is that God is with us in our weakness. The Creator and Sustainer of all things is with us every moment of every day. He gives power to the faint and renews the strength of those who wait for Him. He upholds us by the power of His right hand. And beloved, He even uses our deepest suffering to help us rely not on ourselves, but on Him who has power over death. God is with us, which means that His grace is sufficient for us, for His power is made perfect in our weakness. For when we are weak, then we are strong in Christ. Beloved, God is with us, which means that He's caring for us and working all things together for His glory and our good. The all-powerful Creator and Sustainer of all things sustains us each and every day. The one who guides every cell in our bodies is the one who guides our lives. The one who is in control of our schedules is the one who created and sustains time. The one who upholds the universe is the one who holds our souls in his hands. The one who has ordained our suffering for our good is the one who is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. The one who inhabits eternity 
will dwell with us eternally in the new creation. Amen? What else can we do but praise Him? What else can we do but bless His name? God is transcendent and God is imminent. God is high and lifted up and God is with us. And this is a beautiful paradox, but it's not a problem that needs to be solved. It's a reason to rejoice and praise God. When we have the right view of God, we can worship Him rightly. And that's what we were created to do. So let me encourage you to humble yourselves, bow your hearts, and worship Him every moment of every day because there is no God besides Him. So basically, I've said all of that to say, come to the class. Um, And we'll dive deeper into who God is. It begins February 13th, but we'll give more info as we get closer. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are high and lifted up. You inhabit eternity, and your name is holy. And at at the same time, you are with your people. We praise you, God, that you have not left us in our sin, that you have not left us in our pride and independence and our arrogance, that while we were still sinners, you sent your Son to die for us. We praise you, O God. We thank you that you are sustaining us, that you are guiding us. We thank you that one day we will get to be with you face to face. And God, as we wait for that glorious day, I pray that you continue to give us glimpses of who you are through your word, through preaching, through community, so that we may stand in awe of you and worship you every moment of every day. For we ask this in Christ's name, amen.